Good afternoon, everyone. You are listening to London Council's podcast. We are trying to find new ways to communicate with our members. And today we're talking about gambling. My name's Valerie Solomon. I work at London Council's in the health team. Uh, I'm Jack Eddy. I also work in the health team. So, Jack, the first question I wanted to ask you is, while we're discussing gambling, could you set the scene for us? Yeah. Gambling is often described as a, as a hidden addiction, which is now recognised as a complex public health issue, and that has all kinds of consequences to individuals, families, communities, particularly in places like London. So just to give you some sort of statistical context, and this, this information comes from the Gambling Commission themselves, at the moment we're now looking at anything around 400 to 600,000 problem gamblers in the UK in total, and that's, that's gone up a huge amount over the last 10 years. The, the Gambling Commission has also found that more than 2 million people are either problem gamblers themselves or at risk of addiction. And that also includes 60,000 problem gamblers in the UK being under the age of 16, anywhere between 11, year, 11 years and 15 years old. And 3 million 13 to 17 year olds have corrected falsified online betting accounts. So at least 3 million children have gambled, which is against current law. What's London context for this, um, Jack? Well, uh, the impact is actually particularly acute in a number of London boroughs. We're looking at a situation where, since at least 2010, you've had a massive explosion of online and personal phones, so more an increasing trend of gambling online, at the same time as, uh, particularly from 2010, a massive um, explosion in the number of particularly betting shops in a lot of the more deprived areas of London. So um, while, while we don't have any uh, comprehensive regional figures, the evidence suggests um, that, that the number of gambling premises are very high overall. At somewhere like Newham, uh, the number of betting shops rose to 83 between 2009 and 2013. At one stage, Newham had 13 gambling premises all on one street. And in places like Barking and Dagenham, which we'll be looking at more closely, which of course is an area of high deprivation. The number of betting shops increased by 21%. And I think in some places like Newham, that percentage was higher. Uh, I should also probably mention at this point what uh, the the impact of fixed odd betting terminals. Now fixed odd betting terminals are these little machines that you you find mostly in betting shops uh, that sort of combine uh, a computer game with with an old fruit machine. So they are, set up like computer games and they are addictive like computer games. They also allow the, the, the individual participant to gamble a maximum stake of £100 every 20 seconds, which has a, a massive, potentially a massive impact on personal debt, but also becomes extremely addictive. But currently they, rep- they represent about 30 to 55%, anywhere between that, of gambling companies' uh, national profits. And they're also linked to why there was such a, a huge uh, increase in the number of betting shops over the last 10 years or so. It's because, according to legislation, you can only have four uh, fobbed fixed off betting terminals in each betting shop. So 
because these machines are so addictive and they're so profitable, the need to proliferate the number of betting shops per street, often in close proximity to each other, was a way of maximising profit. As you know, we're concerned about the impact on public health of gambling. Could you outline what you consider to be the health impacts for people who gamble or are addicted to gambling? Well, yeah. As I said, the, the consequences of, of gambling, uh, gambling addiction um, can have massive financial issues occurring to the, to the individual, and that, that, of course, impacts families and communities. Gambling is often recognised as a, what's called a comorbidity, so it exists in conjunction with other issues. And conditions like major depression, you know, is, is considered extremely profligate among problem gamblers. So the figures we have, again, mostly from the Gambling Commission, 60% of gamblers suffer from depression and 13% have attempted suicide. And upwards of 11% of all suicides are linked to gambling. That came from a, a, a study a few years ago based in both Hong Kong and the UK. Now, if you, if you consider that at a London scale, based on most recent suicide figures for London, you're talking anything up to 60 suicides per year are the result just of gambling. Thanks. What are the borough responsibilities regarding gambling? Well, um, this mostly boils down to the Gambling Act of 2005. Which, which covers the regulation of gambling and very much represented a, a, a big liberalisation of gambling nationally. As things currently stand, the Gambling Act regulation for gambling essentially falls down to a, a dual system. One administered by the, the Gambling Commission, which handles things on a regional, le- uh, uh, sorry, national level. So the, the Gambling Commission is responsible for issuing operating and personal licences. So every gambling company and every owner of, of a, for example, a betting shop or a casino, uh, they have to have these licences issued, they have to apply to these licences, have to have it issued uh, by the Gambling Commission themselves. They also set the standards and approach to gambling regulation across the country. So a lot of the stuff that's come about around gambling as a public health issue is actually stated in in Gambling Commission's own practice. Now on a local level, we have local authorities acting as licensing authorities and they they focus on issues uh, around permits for for gambling premises. So every gambling premises that you see on the high street, whether it's a betting shop or an an arcade or a, a casino, they have all applied and been granted uh, permission to set up from the license, licensing authority, the local authority. Again, it's also worth, worth bearing in mind that local authorities, they also set their local uh, approach to gambling in something called the, the, the Statement of Principles, which they're required to renew every three years. The Statement of Principles is better known as Gambling Policy Statement, and that sets out the local authority's approach to licensing. What has London Council been doing to support boroughs in their role regarding gambling? Well, as I mentioned, the gambling policy statements renewed every three years. We have just finished a, a renewal process, which was, which was meant to be completed statutorily on the 31st of January this year. We've essentially done what, we've, what, we, what we could to assist boroughs during the renewal of those statements. 
This is linked to the Devolution uh, MOU, which has gambling as one of its work streams. And one of the things we've discovered, uh, which we've discovered as an issue, is that actually there isn't a great deal or, or consistent level of engagement between borough licensing and public health teams around the issue of gambling. Uh, this, this is, you know, it's, whilst it's recognised as a public health issue, and that's come down from the gambling authority, that's recognised by the NHS, by a lot of people, it's not, it's not a statutory public health responsibility, which is in stark contrast to something like alcohol licensing, which, which, because it's a statutory requirement, you, you see excellent uh, operation between public health and licensing. But this shouldn't diminish the fact, and this is the stance we've taken, but it shouldn't diminish the fact that the contribution of public health considerations and data can have on these gambling statements is hugely valuable. And this is particularly in regards to supporting vulnerable people and children and young people, which the, the Gambling Act of 2005 takes particular interest in. In terms of the people that you're, you're statutorily required to protect, it's children, young people and vulnerable people. And what we found is that in areas of, of effective practice like Barking and Dagman, the fact that vulnerable people, as stated in legislation, is not defined. It means that boroughs can, and public health data can define what constitutes vulnerable people from within their own local uh, boroughs, from their, based on their own local needs. And this is essentially what we've, we've, we've followed through on. So we have put together, released last summer, a toolkit to be, which was aimed at public health teams, just emphasising the effective practice where it exists in London to, to, to better incorporate that cooperation between public health and licensing. I'm sure that's very helpful, Jack. What are our next steps in terms of the, uh, the things that, borough, that London councils may wish to do to support boroughs? Well, what we've been doing is we've been, first of all, reviewing the, the impact of the toolkit. Working alongside PHE London, we have also set out a, a criteria of best practice. And what we'll be doing on an ongoing basis, now that the borough statements are now out and published, is we'll be reviewing those completed statements against the effective practice criteria that we've, we've developed alongside our partners. However, at the moment it's very open-ended and we're moving forward, in a, now, as I say, in a slightly open-ended way. And if, if there's any direction that we can get from our members on, on what to do next on gambling, I think that would be very useful communication. As with many of the, the policy areas that we are involved with, particularly around this subject, gambling, the landscape changes quite quickly. What's happening in terms of the government's response around gambling? Well, the big news in terms of national campaigning, uh, I mentioned fixed odd betting terminals, maximum stake of £100. National campaigners, and that includes uh, um, a few London boroughs who landed their lobbying weight behind the, uh, behind the campaign, they have... The government has agreed to lower the maximum stake from £100 to £2, which represents a massive change from, from, from that £100 stake and could potentially have a big impact on the amount of debt that's accrued by the individual, uh, etc. However, the, it's a little bit 
it's a little bit open-ended about when exactly that's going to be enforced. So essentially it's watch this space regarding that. But the biggest issue in terms of the nature of ga- how na- the nature of gambling is changing is that a lot of gambling is now increasingly online. And so less and less is happening in betting shops and therefore less and less is outside a local authority jurisdiction. The APBG for gambling-related harm, which used to be APBG for FOPs, that's, that's now focusing on online gambling and they are calling for evidence regarding this. So it's, it, that's the next big thing and I really recommend any members, any local authorities listening, to, to, if, if they have information, if they want to get involved, to, to get involved with that. So that concludes the podcast for this afternoon. If you'd like to make any comments or have, want to find out any further information, look at our website for useful links. We are hoping to carry out a series of further podcasts over the coming weeks, so look out for those. Thank you for listening.